Jesus to the wolves. Throw them right in the pit. Baptism by fire. Just like Gary Oldman and Hannibal. I watched that movie the other day. It's a good one. Dude, Gary Gary Oldman in True Romance is amazing. Right? Gary Oldman in Gary anything. Oldman, Gary Oldman in anything is amazing. This is Jacob Ross with JLB Morelia. This is Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. You're listening to the Herpeticulture Podcast. Enjoy. Oh, Phil's, yeah, man. Phil's got the eye of the tiger. On that note, welcome everybody. This is episode 104 of the Here nice. Culture Podcast. I'm Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. I'm Phil Wolf of Knobtails.ig because I don't have an actual company. That's that still counts. The the Nefrurus Initiative. The Nefrus Initiative. Filling in for Jacob Bratz of JLB Morelia. No one knows where he is. No one knows where he might be. He is nowhere, and yet he is everywhere. He is a man of mystery. <sighs> you know, if it, if this like sabbatical goes into next year, like to one night we're gonna have to get together and have you record like an intro where like. Jake usually fills in. We'll, right. We'll do. I do. I tr- want to do a new one each year, like a new, new audio, like new music, new intros, like. So, we'll have to make that happen well, by the you know, come January. All right, I'm game. And then whenever Jake comes back, you know, we'll do another one. But uh, I like it. Let me see. Turn up my headphones a little bit. Uh, this show is brought to you by. MP cages and exotics. Yeah. You need an awesome rack. You need an awesome cage. Sean is the man to engage. Do you like that? I do. I thought that was pretty slick. It was. Uh, and then Steve Snakeshuary with his Venom hot sauce. So Muy caliente. You buy his hot sauce. You help him out with his Snakeshuary. He educates people. He does all that good stuff. He teaches kids. A, to be safe around snakes, and B, not to kill them, because they are a vital part of the ecosystem. So, Steve Snakeshuary, go ahead. I said well put. Thank you. you, Obviously, you're inside then tonight, Phil. You're not smoking anything. Oh, no. I'm outdoors. I am smoking. Oh, what do you have? I have one of the Kentucky Fire Sticks that you gave me. Oh, those little things. Dude, I love those little things. I, I, I'm glad. I'm glad, buddy. Smoking a CAO Flathead 770. Nice. Which may have been overkill. Is that right? You don't have any caffeine, so you got to make up for it. This is true. But uh, this week, our boy Casey Cannon has returned. For the third episode, I believe, we've done with him. Yes. I feel like I'm missing something. It's getting to the point now where like people are like, oh, yeah, I remember that episode, and I, I literally have no recollection of it. Like We're getting so many, it's like, oh, yeah, I completely forgot that we did that one. It's great, but then it's also kind of poopy. But it's but it's awesome, because it's progress. 
Yeah, but I mean, like, between this and the magazine and Snakes and Stogies, it's like, I can't keep up with all of it anymore. Like, once it's out there, it's out there, you know? There's actually, there's another podcast on the Herbiculture Network that, you know, people forget about. It's called the Chondro Cast. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's actually really good. It's dead. I don't know. I keep saying I'm going to do another episode, man, and I just, I don't, I never get around to it. It's it's like the redheaded stepchild of the, the THN of the network. I'll talk to Luke and Brahms, and they'll both just call you one night, and then they'll record it. <laughs> I'm like, guys, Justin's at home tonight. Just call him. I guess, you know, I should have got a, a better, a fancier cigar than this, because... I got babies hatching, buddy. Yeah, you do. Let's talk about them real quick if we can. Yeah. So, I got some snakes. That gave me some eggs. Put them in the incubator. Now I got little green heads with orange bodies coming out of them. Epic. Some green cat snakes. I don't even... Is that even... Is that their common name? Boiga Cyanea. Yeah, I mean... Cyanea, however you want to say it. Cyania, Cyania. Awesome awesome snakes. Adorable. Had a clutch of nine eggs. Legitimately adorable. Yeah, and I got that clutch literally the day, the night before I left for Daytona. So that's like what, August, I think is the 19th. And it is now December 3rd to give you an idea of like just how long you have to wait for these things to hatch. It's pretty crazy. Uh, so it was a clutch of nine. One of the eggs sort of started getting a little wonky early on. Um, so that one's no good, but, uh, two are out of the egg currently. I've got another two or three that are still, I'm still waiting on them to come out. Like the eggs are cut. I'm just waiting for them to kind of come out on their own. And then Did you, like, peek? Do you peek inside there and like, they're good. Yeah. So what I do, and I did it with chondros, like if, Usually you can tell if something's like stillborn because if you take a pair of the cuticle scissors, which is what I use to cut the eggs, and you gently tap the snake inside, they react like they, you know, they they flinch sort of. So you know they're alive. If they're not, they're kind of rubbery feeling. Just in case interesting. Things. Yeah. So there's like three in there that that react when I when I gently touch the the cuticle scissors to them, and then there's two others that are clearly dead. They're just, they're not, not alive, so. But, uh, ironically, I was planning to pair them again, the adults, this month, but uh, that's not going to be necessary because she's due to drop another clutch literally, like, any day now. She's been pacing like crazy the last week. She shed probably two weeks ago, which would have been her prelay shed. I, I, somehow, I just, I looked in the cage, I was like, oh, there's a shed. I was like, that's weird, she kind of just shed not that long ago. Now it makes complete sense because she's really fat in the back half and and all that. Nice. So another clutch, which those won't hatch until uh, like March, if they're good, if I get them. Yeah, but that's good, man. That gives it's you crazy. plenty of time to. That gives you plenty of time to set up the, the babies you got, get them established. You know, get the ball rolling. That's that's good. Yeah, and everyone's like, oh, getting, you know, now the headaches start. It's like, no, because I'm ready. I got dart frogs. And you like I, it. I put one of the, the Turkicus geckos in the freezer to preserve and sent mice with. Um, Excellent. And 
I got mouse tails. So I'm good to go. I ain't worried about it. But I, it's funny because I posted pictures of the babies and automatically I had people on Instagram who were like, how much are you selling them for? Put me on the list. I'm like, I don't I don't know about y'all. I'm not Casey. You can probably chime in because you sell a lot of stuff. I don't really do lists. I like to kind of take my time and be able to make sure everything's 100% on the up and up before I go trying to get down payments and stuff on, on animals. Yeah, it makes sense. It's just Wait, yeah, no, so, sorry. I like cut out for a second and I cut back in. <laughs> sorry. I was, I know like I've been super quiet the whole time. I'm like trying to figure out a way to like jump in the conversation. No, no, it's good. Just do just it. Do whatever, man. <laughs> it's not like you're a stranger. It's right. cool, man. We talk daily, dude. Legitimately. We do talk daily. That is a hundred percent true. Talked to Phil for like an hour and a half yesterday. On your drive? <laughs> oh, yeah, man. And that was after you but, guys yeah, hung back out to over the Cyanese weekend. Stuff. What was that, dude? So that was after you guys hung out over the weekend with Billy. We did. Yeah, yeah. Well, say what, you're gonna say. Say what, you're, oh, yeah. say what you're going to say about the Cyanese first, Casey, and then we'll talk about Bill Tong. No, I don't know what I was going to say about the Cyanese because I don't know how much those are worth. But also, like, I definitely wouldn't even like entertain the idea of selling one until, like, they have been eating, which I know you're going to do that. But like, man, I wouldn't, honestly, I like, I wouldn't even post a lot of pictures of them. Like, I know you're excited about them now, but mm-hmm. like, I would just like leave them alone, let them be, let them eat as many times as you feel comfortable and then start posting pictures and then let people start coming to you about them. Yeah. I just, I'm not a fan of lists because I don't, A, it, it makes me feel kind of rushed, I guess. Like there's, there's almost like a feeling of obligation to the people that have already like are in line. Oh yeah. I don't, oh, I don't totally. really dig that. You know, it's like, I want to be able to take my time and make sure that these things are hundred percent right. Instead of having people message you, you know, every week saying, are they ready? Are they ready? Are they ready? Right. And then they get pissed after, you know, six months or whatever it takes, you know, and it's like, look, these aren't corn snakes, man. They, they take time. Like I can almost guarantee even when they're established here, if I send them to somebody, they're going to stop eating again. Like, it's going to happen, mm-hmm. you know? So it's going to be one of those things. It's like, hey, I'm not going to sell them to just anybody. It's like I would prefer people who have kept Boiga, you know, at least this first round. Um, You know, I don't know. It's just... It's, well, I'm out there. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, don't worry. Thing. I, uh, yeah, man, lists are hard. I, uh, that's why I kind of, like, don't really show people stuff until after it started eating a little bit. That way, if somebody's like, hey, man, put me on the list, I'll be like, well, they'll be ready in, like, three meals if you want to go. Because it's always a pain when it's like, I might not have these ready to go for, like, five months. You realize that. And then you text them back, and then you never get a reply. Yeah. It's just, like, it's oh, just how yeah, the thing go. Oh, about that. Yeah, and, you yeah, never and take, I would never, never take, take a deposit. Money. Yeah. No. They're ready no, that's, they're that's ready. literally counting your eggs before they hatch, even though they've already hatched. Well, the, yep. what was that thing, like, People selling eggs? Like, how nuts oh, is that? that was, uh, I've heard about this multiple times. I know that the tortoise people have tried it. I think some ball python people are trying it now. And I'm just like, no. Because first of all, when you move that egg, it's going to die. You're just going to get a dead ball python egg. Uh, like, I don't know, man. I've seen uh, what's another one, panther chameleons. That was common with the panther chameleon scene for a little while. Oh, where really? You have, like, a couple guys trying to sell eggs. I well, see, like, of course, I've, it never worked. I've paid for geckos before they hatched, and like, I knew the breeder, and him and I were buddies. And I was like, "Listen, man, here's here's you know six hundred bucks or whatever, and you know, let me know when they hatch." And uh, 
and I had no qualms about it at all because I knew the guy, I knew the scenario, I knew that they were going to hatch, they were going to be fine, and I also knew that if they didn't hatch, he wasn't going to be a jerk, and he would just give him my money back, you know? Well, the homie hookup is one thing. That's that's a unique scenario, yeah. you know? you got to be friends with a guy to do something like that. Right. I would never take a stranger's money because at the same time, A, I have to basically sit on those funds, which stinks, and at the same time, if it doesn't pan out, now they're going to be angry and they're going to say, I don't want my money back. I want my lizard or my snake or whatever. And that's a whole nother headache. Oh yeah, man. It's just, it's yeah, so much I've easier. Never, to just I've never dealt with them like that, but. Yeah, dude, I've yeah. never dealt with anything like that before, but I, I'm very careful about taking money before an animal is ready to go. Right. Well, it's also, I mean, it's but, a little different with some things, too, because, like, these, I mean, it's not, like, it's probably a decent, it's a good start for, for Boiga, period, like, if you're getting into the genus, but it's not something that, you know, is for everybody. It's not a snake that I don't want to just... You wouldn't tell me one of my first snake? No. It's just, it's not a, it's not, it's one of those things. I'm going to be a little picky about who they go to. I want to make sure you know what you're doing, and I want to make sure the animal's going to thrive. The way it should be. I would do the same thing with Congress. Yeah. yeah. Well, good shit, man. It's a monumental week. Tis, uh, yeah, I know you got to be so excited about that. I would be so dude, excited about that. The weight, I'm excited for you. The wait is brutal. It's such a long incubation time. I don't know how monitor guys do it. Because, I mean, theirs is even longer. Theirs is like double that. Dude, Think about Parsons guys, Chameleon guys, was, man. You took the words out of my mouth, Casey. I was thinking Parsons Chameleon. They wait like almost two years for yeah. these eggs to hatch. You've got to put them through hibernation twice before they even come out of the egg. It's crazy. Jesus, really? Yeah, man. It takes like 16 to 24 months to hatch those things That's out. I think it usually takes 18. Yep. You just forget about them for a year and a half. Could you imagine what that must feel like if they went bad at like the zero hour? Or you're sitting there waiting for them to hatch and then you come to find after like the two and a half year mark that nothing's happening and you cut them open and there's like nothing inside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I did that with geckos for, you know, two months and I lost my mind. You know, I cut the egg open and it's literally a paper thin, empty, hollow shell. Yeah, I remember you talking about that. Yeah, like one of those ostrich eggs that they blow the insides out. It was gnarly. But, I mean, on the bright side, it does make incubating chondros and pretty much anything else feel like it was done over the weekend. Yeah. Because it's half the I'll time. Give you that. <laughs> yeah, you got to yeah, put that in perspective whenever you look at stuff like that. Yeah, it makes chondros look like a piss in the pool. 49 days, right? Like, that's not even as long as a normal python. Yeah, it's forty. Yeah, the fifty-two-ish, I believe. Somewhere okay, so that's like there. a little bit shorter than a typical python, then. Yeah. Yeah, by typical python, I mean like carpets and ball pythons. You know, I'm sure some of the lionesses guys are gonna get mad at me for saying that it's uh, that's typical python stuff. Take it back. Sorry, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, do you know how long it takes a matlock python to hatch? I have no idea. I know all of pythons take like 80-something days, but I have no I, idea how long a, a matlock python takes. I, no idea. I couldn't tell you. I'm easily six, seven years away from my water, so I'm not even thinking about it. 
I keep forgetting you had those. What's that? I feel like Lyasis in general is just something that I've heard people say, oh, you got to hold them to really understand why they're so cool. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, whatever. And then I held one. I was like, oh, yeah, I get it now. Like, uh, like Billy's Olive Python we were playing with the other day. That thing was so cool. And it felt like no other snake. Oh, yeah. Like, it was, it was soft. Yeah, that's how sub are. like on. silk. What was that? So that's how the, the sub-ox, the trans-pecos rats are. They have like that sort oh, that's of cool. that I take velvety sort of satininess to them. Like the scales aren't very big, just like on Lyasis. They're like small and plush. Epic. Yeah, I haven't touched one before. I'll have to check that out. I need more, man. It's got to happen. It's going it to happen. Will. It will happen. Such cool Patience. things. Uh, what else was going on? There was something else I just had and I forgot. So, Casey and I met up with Billy Hunt this weekend. Yes. <coughs> we did. Did you go to Chili's? We did not. We did not go to Chili's. You we uh, grilled out. completely missed opportunity. We grilled out. Once again. It was pretty awesome. Fine dining is wasted on you people. I'm sorry. I got, <clears throat> excuse me, I got real South African biltong. By the pound, and real South African bourgeois that we cooked on Billy's grill out back, and then and I made baked potatoes. <laughs> Casey did make Casey did make some bomb ass baked potatoes. The That's culinary sure. prowess of Casey Cannon. <laughs> and then to top it off, for those of you who like ginger beer, the finest ginger beer comes out of South Africa, believe it or not, and it's actually a brand called Stoney's. So if you ever get the chance and you see South African Stoney's ginger beer in the can, I highly recommend you buy it and drink it and enjoy it. That's the yeah the burns f- the top of your sinuses. Yeah, <laughs> clears you Some out. Good stuff. It's amazing. And I took my jag home. Oh yeah, you did. I did. A little oh, sucker meat nippy thing. Billy has him on a hook. And I, he places the snake into my hand from the hook, and I'm like, "Oh, look, man, he's he's doing he's doing better. Like, you know, he's not all s'd up." And then whack right on the thumb, like before I could even finish my words. <laughs> so sounds like a good man. scrub, dude. Don't get me started, man. I don't know what you did to my snake. Meanwhile, Casey tells me that somebody had babies for sale at Daytona, and you and I both missed it. Where? It was on Triple L's table. They had baby Halmahera scrub python. I didn't want it. I need, I need Nauda. Wait, Halmahera or Tannenbar? No, no. They had baby Halmahera scrub pythons at, uh, at Daytona. Oh. Like, you told maybe not like Tannenbar. baby babies, but like yearlings. You told I mean, Halmaheras are cooler than Tannenbars. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. Whoa, whoa, wee, whoa. You are saying that tannin bars are cooler than Halmaheras. Halmaheras are cool, and Halmaheras are probably my favorite out of all of them just because of how they look, but that's not what I all have. Right. We're missing right. one half of the puzzle. And Northern yeah, Barnecks are the coolest. All right, Northern Barnecks are pretty awesome. I'll give you that, but we need to change the topic immediately before I start to get agitated. Ooh. Well, I think sensitive. I still have bits of Bill Tong stuck in my teeth. We can we can talk about that for a second. Oh, I know that I know that I have built on stuck in my teeth. How does it compare to the stuff you gave me? It's delicious, but it is the most flaky stuff. 
It is. Oh yeah. It's like pine it's bark. A, and we ate like three pounds of it. We did. I probably ate three pounds of it. Of it. I love like they cut it thin like prosciutto. It's so like fatty and salty and just melts in your palate. That's the stuff that's made out of like hippo ass or something, isn't it? No, it's beef, bro. I mean, normally they do like you know kudu or or uh, mm-hmm. they'll do like gemsbuck or something if if you've got the exotic meats. But no, this was this was cow. Sorry. This is and Billy's dogs are falling around all night because Billy has like forty-seven thousand dogs in the house. Have and... he's got a problem? <laughs> and they were what all I... falling around because I knew I'd feed them. What I do think is cool is like even Billy and Anita both said like that they started to like know me and Casey now, which I think is awesome. Cause like, oh, that is really, yeah. Casey and I both walked in the house and like, we didn't get a single bark out of them. It was awesome. <laughs> no, they just ran up to us. It was really cool. Yeah. Probably cause they know they're going to get fed. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta feed this. So how does, how does the, the billabong compare to regular beef jerky? You mean the biltong? Yeah, the billabong. The biltong. Surf. It's the surf sm- gear. it's the smoothest, butteriest beef jerky you've ever had. Because you gave me some at Daytona, and I was—I mean, it was good. I don't really remember a whole lot. Yeah, but that was that was not the same. That was like packaged, like bought at a gas station biltong. This is like, like hand rub, hand dried by a South African dude in his little shop, and then he cuts it thin by hand. See, Justin, what Phil is saying is he goes all out for me and Billy, but for you, he'll get yeah, the cheap stuff. Yeah, that's me. Damn, man. Right in front of that oh, bus. Man. Right in front of that bus. And come to think of it, that wasn't even my Biltong at Daytona. I'm pretty sure Matt and Jamie bought yeah, that stuff. Yeah, it might have been. I don't know. I was just... It was good. I need to try, I guess, the real stuff, quote-unquote. Well, Matt... Matt made a uh, a biltong box because you know you dry it in a in a, a special box. What? And uh, yeah, you dry it indoors in like a box on your countertop. And uh, he made the box, and then he he seasoned the meat. And like one of the key ingredients is brown vinegar and coriander, which is really hard to find. And uh, the brown vinegar specifically. And uh, he wound up using like a, a red wine reduction or something. And it was so salty it was literally <laughs> like eating salt but for whatever reason the aftertaste it just made you want more oh it like, did i like, drank so much water after that yeah that's nuts it's like gatorade like as soon as it hits your lips you just like down the whole bottle and then you feel horrible but it's so good it's just so good yeah so salted meats aside casey can what's going on with you man nothing much dude I have been uh, coming over here, checking on some of the animals. I'm setting up this year to have probably the biggest year I've ever had. I'm trying like a whole bunch of different new stuff that I'm really excited about. This is my first year trying colubrids. So I'm going to be trying uh, a pair of uh, bamboo rat snakes I got at Daytona. Yeah. So I think those are super cool. I have no idea how I'm going to deal with them. Like You're going to send some to me is gonna... how you're going to do it. I will. Hundred percent. I just got to figure out how to incubate them. I was gonna say, but what do you got, do? You know, like, what do people do with those? That's got to be like a, a put them on a shelf somewhere and just wait. I think they like a little bit warmer than room temperature, is what I read. So, like, I think what I'm gonna do is I have. So this year, I bought like a really nice like sea serpent incubator. Mm-hmm. I think so I'm gonna use my uh, for my python eggs. I'm gonna use my old incubator. 
you know, my old one that I built out of a refrigerator. Yeah. I think I'm just going to set it to like 75 and put the uh, bamboo rat snake eggs in there. Because what's cool about them is kind of like you're talking about the cyania. They can like, I think they can up to triple clutch. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, the Python guy who's used to like, okay, you get like one shot of eggs a year. It's pretty crazy. Right. And then I'm just going to have to figure out like, I don't know how big the babies are. I don't know how big the eggs are. They look pretty big from the picture. But yeah, it's going to be a whole new experience that I really know nothing about. So now, which bamboos are these? Because there's like a couple different um, body types, right? The, is it Latacinctus? Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. Because I thought I bought them as one thing and then I posted them up. I posted up a picture of them, and then Rob Stone texted me, and he's like, hey, man, I don't think that's what they are. I think they're these. And I was like, okay, yeah, I, I believe you 100%. I have no one to argue with you. So. <laughs> well, you know, like, you I say mean, that's Rob's what they not, are, that is what they are. Rob's not yep. going to bullshit you anyways, you know? Exactly. No. I wonder, though, if Rob you... Rob Stone if is you, my hero. If you incubated those similar to how I did with the Boiga, where you set them at 82 during the day, and then they dropped to 78 at night, if that would work. I could probably do that. I mean, I've got some extra spots on uh, the hurt step, so I could probably set a night drop. Because I wonder, though, my only thing with that, because my other thinking with this next clutch, depending on if it's good or not, uh, was just meet in the middle and do a steady 80. But I don't, because I just, I wonder, though, set at 82 and then dropping to 78, That it's an old wine cooler that's been converted. Like, how... Does it even get to 78 because it's so well insulated is kind of what I want to know. So I need to put a Govi unit in there and see. And Because, uh, I mean, if this, there's yeah, no point in doing the night see. drop if it's just not if it's not even getting down there because it doesn't it's so well insulated. It's literally just keeping that heat and keeping it a steady 80 or whatever, you know? Yeah, because, I mean... I imagine it would take a really long time for it to drop if it's that well insulated. So you're probably right. It might only hit 78 for like Two hours. 30 minutes before yeah. it kicks back on. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought too. So I don't know. I, you know, I was talking to Rob about that earlier actually on Messenger. Um, you know, I was like, what's really the point? At the cooler temperatures like that, does it really make that big of a difference? Like I can understand yeah. if it's, if you're cooking something at like 85 and it drops to 80 or whatever, like, that makes sense, but 82 to 78, you know, it's, like, that's, it's already, like, the, the outside temperatures in that closet are pretty, they're, in like, in the low 60s because there's no AC or heat that runs into that closet, you know, so those temperatures inside are sort of combating with the temperatures outside to, in a, to a degree, um, I don't know, it's just, I'm curious, I'm gonna sort of experiment and see what happens and see what works. In case you, yeah, keep the, you keep the eggs warmer than you keep the actual adults? That's what I read. So, like, okay. I'm only basing this off of stuff I've read online. Because the adults, they do just fine for, like, whatever the room's at. Yeah. You know, yeah. I had them um, in a room that was, like, probably 66 to 72. And they ate no problem. They just kind of hung out. Now they're in my garage. They're in my garage, and the garage is, like, 48 to 50-something. So they're in there with my blue tongues right now. And I hope that's cold enough for them. I don't know. I'm going to assume it is. Awesome. So my plan with those guys is just uh, bring them back inside, you know, keep them at like 72, and then just feed them a lot and throw them together and see what happens. Yeah, you know, they, are they cannibalistic at all or no? Um, I don't think so. And this is an adult pair, and they're both like pretty much the exact same size. 
So I think even if they like wanted to try to eat another snake, they wouldn't try to eat one that's like exactly the same size as them. I didn't yeah. even I'll see keep an eye you. On them. I didn't see you even get those at Daytona. I don't think. Yeah, I got them like last minute because I kept walking back and forth. Like I spent that whole show talking to Billy. Like, man, he has because <laughs> he had like I think he had two point three or something like that. It was like two adults and then two that were or, and then three that were like maybe like a year off from being adults. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, I really like those. They're cool. I don't know anything about them. I don't know if I want to spend this much money on them, but they're awesome. And then I kept walking back and forth. Eventually, I came back and the the trio of uh, sub-adults was gone, but the adults are still there, so I was like, forget it, I'll just buy it. That's a sign, man. So, it's a sign, and it's classic classic Billy, I was going to say, he's that's the, the worst person enabler. to ask, because he's yeah. going to tell you to get him. He's not going to say, man, you should probably sit and think about it. Billy's just going to be like, get it, dude. Get it, man. Yeah. That's how it was, but I was like, I should get him, man. I didn't know if I wanted five of them, because they only wanted to sell a group of five. And I came back, and there was just two. I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely, I'll take these. Yeah, that's an omen. That's a sign right there. Well, if it makes you guys feel better, I did it to Billy like two days ago. A friend of mine uh, inadvertently produced radiated rats, and uh, I text Billy. I was like, look what I got. He's like, I'll take 1.2. <laughs> I want them. He, he's like, he's like, I don't even know the price. Just 1.2. <laughs> so. I've been tempted to, to get into the Colignathus stuff. It's been tempting, but... See, man, they're awesome, but like, I'll just play with Billy's. You know? Yeah, and the Billy. I mean, I talked to Billy about it because Billy was like, he's he's had a handful over time, and you know, some of them do fine, some of them don't do fine. You know, I just I just decided it's ultimately not really worth the the headache, and I'll just stick to my current headaches. That's a good yeah. way to look at it. You just, just got a bunch current of new headaches. Ones. Yeah, you just got a bunch of new ones. Yep. But I'm at, I mean, I'm kind of at that point where I really don't have any desire to really add anything new unless it's something like Subox or, you know, like I'm, as far as Chondros go, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty content with what I got. As far as Bairds go, I'm content, you know, boy guy, I'd like to get more of the genus, but it's not something I'm like rushing to do. And you got rid of all the darts or no? Not yet. I'm still, I'm waiting on Reed. Okay. I need to hit him up. I got to hit him up this weekend because this weekend is the official chill date for the Gila Monsters. Oh, that's exciting, man. That's really exciting. Yeah, I uh, I can't find appropriate Tupperware. And Casey, were you the one telling me to put him in a PVC tube? Yeah, that's what I would okay. do to him. I would just put so, him in a PVC, uh, PVC tube. So I was measuring the depth of the chiller, and I don't think it's deep enough to put the tube long ways horizontal because i think that obviously the tube has to be longer than the lizards and the lizards are probably like maybe 15 to 17 inches long maybe longer maybe 20 inches i I don't know i haven't actually measured them but i don't think i have the depth so i think what i'm going to do is i think i'm going to put shelves in because it has it has slots for the metal racks to hold the bottles of wine Mm -hmm. so i think i'm going to slide in shelves and then i'm just going to put them in snake bags I think that's what good what I'm gonna do. So I want to consult with Reed, and I'll, I'll probably call Rob Stone and, and pick his brain too, because those are the only two like friends I have that have actually produced them. So I figure, who better than ask them? You know, dude, I want some of this so bad. When I'm out of Georgia, I'm going to hit you up, and I'm gonna get some meatless. That is like honestly, that is one of the biggest motivations I have for getting out of the state. Really? 
Yes, like no lie. I want Gila monsters. They're well, like I the told, brettles of lizards. They really are. I already told uh, my 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 breeding partner Mike, who has the male, uh, you know, because we're we're basically splitting the collection. And uh, whatever comes out, we're just going to split it. I told him, I was like, hey, I need to hold one back for a very good friend. So uh, I'm basically going to keep one of them. Regardless of what we keep, I'm going to keep one of them so that when when Casey does move to Florida, he will have ample Gila Monsters hours for his Venomous license, and he will be presented with one. Aw. <laughs> now, now that is counting the chickens before you have eggs. Those take yes, forever to incubate, don't they? Bed, <laughs> What's that? Those take forever to incubate, don't they? I don't even know. Dude, I'm literally doing this one step at a time. I'm like, all right, first I got to feed them up. Then I got to chill them a little bit. Then I got to let them poop everything out. Then I got to get my get them in the in the wine cooler. And then from there, then I'll think about the next step. I'm, I'm, I, I literally, because I know if I overthink it, I'm going to fuck it up. Yeah. It's easy to do. Yeah, what you're doing right now is what I've been doing with Blue Tongues this year. Except yeah, I'm like months ahead of you. Let's let's talk about the other stuff that you're going to produce. I was going to say how, yeah, because I mean, Casey is he is the guest tonight, and he has a lot of animals he's producing. So let's hear it, baby. Yeah, so I'm trying. Uh, I'm going to try three or four uh, litters of blue tongue skink. So last year, I got them to breed, and I got a stillborn baby and a bunch of slugs. And I think I know what I did wrong. I uh, well, there's a couple things I think went wrong with that one pairing. One is I bought that female as an adult, and I don't think she was quite acclimated to, like, my new place. And the other is I don't think I got them cold enough for long enough. For long enough. Like, I cooled them down from, we'll say, like, November to, like, Christmas. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, Christmas last year we had this crazy heat wave where it was, like, 75 degrees. Everything that was roommating woke up, and I was just like, okay, you know what? That's probably long enough. Just throw you guys together. So I got them to lock up, and man, blue tongues when they breed is scary because they are so violent with each other. I believe it. I think that's what like, T.C. Houston was talking about when we had him on to talk about his breeding. Just like most lizards, yeah. Like you got to watch and make sure they don't like you don't like grab each other's arms or grab each other's side of the head. Because I had uh, one pair where the male grabbed the female right above the eye, and he was trying to like walk onto her, and I just I was like, okay. I might get a good lock here, but he also might like crush the side of her head. So I pulled them apart, and they di- and they didn't go again, like that day. I only got one lock out of that pair, and nothing came of it. But I think so, uh, I think. Let me just let's rewind a little bit. So I didn't know this. Uh, well, let me rephrase this. I didn't know how many different species of blue tongue there actually were until honestly, until I started hanging out with you guys. So which species do you have? And then if you can talk, because yesterday when we were BSing, you told me that there's like a really small window for them to actually pair. Yeah. So I work with three types. Well, actually, I work with four types of blue tongues now. I have northerns now. Um, so I have northerns and easterns, which are both uh, Telequus kinkoides. They're basically the same species. They say they're different subspecies. I'm going to wait for DNA tests to come out because I feel like it's going to be Kind of like a carpet python scenario where you like they look different, but then you do DNA and they're going to turn out they're like exactly the same. I just kind of have a feeling that's how it's going to run. Okay. But the northerns are way bigger than the easterns. They're uh, more robust animals. They're uh, 
Uh, mine are like ridiculously orange because they're a uh, a Swedish line that has been selected for for orange coloration for a few generations. They're beautiful animals, and I just got them, so I'm not even going to try to breed them this year. I just want to let them kind of kind of settle in. Mm-hmm. And I've got Easterns, which are in Australia, they're the most common ones people have, but in the United States, they're pretty rare. It's kind of like uh, I would say that they're like the skink equivalent of like a coastal carpet python as far as where they live. Whereas a northern is like the equivalent of a Darwin. Okay. So in the U.S., most people are working with northerns and most people are working with some of the Indonesian species. But I only have the Key Islands as far as Indonesian stuff goes. And that's kind of a – they've only been bred a handful of times. And I kind of want to figure them out. But I need to get, probably get a bigger group if I'm really going to figure out Key Islands. Cool. And then I have westerns, which are – extremely rare in the United States, and I'm really lucky to have a pair of those guys. Are those the ones you got recently? The Westerns I have had for a while. The Northerns are the ones I got recently. Okay. Other than, like, the ones that are just completely pitch black, the melanistic ones or whatever they are, like, I'm oblivious to to pretty much anything blue tongue related. Oh, yeah. So I actually have a uh, het northern or a het uh, melanistic that I'm going to be trying this year, and nice. those guys. Um, so people have actually been having some problems with those in the U.S. I think part of it is the fact that, like, yeah, let's be real here. Some of the ones that are coming in are not acclimated to this hemisphere. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Like, let's be real here. Mine were from Thai Park, so I know that they're actually like they came in with paperwork where. They got to Myanmar, I don't know, but Thai Park brought them in with paperwork, so we're not going to ask too many questions. Right. Um, so I have an adult male of those, and I'm going to try to breed him to as many females as he wants to go to, which is probably going to be like two or three. And is that just a simple but recessive? It is an incomplete dominant, so there okay. is a visual head to it. Like, the heads are significantly darker than the non-heads, mm-hmm. but it kind of can fall within the, what are we going to say, the range of variability in nature. Yeah. Like, let's say you have an animal that's going to be a naturally light blue tongue, and then you throw that het melanistic thing on it. It might end up look, just looking kind of like a normal blue tongue. Okay. Interesting. But then, like, some of them, if, it's, if it was going to be a normal blue tongue, and you throw the het melanistic on top of it, it's, like, way darker. Hmm. Like, half the body's black. Oh, wow. So I'm going to go kind of the long ways with that because there are a couple issues where I think there's a little bit of an inbreeding depression thing going on with them. Of course. Where you look at them like they're, they're strong, but sometimes the males, especially the visual males, don't want to breed. So I think people are having issues with that right now with the ones that have come into the United States. Is like, you know, they don't really quite want to breed, but they're still strong animals. Some of them have a little bit of an eye issue, which I've... Uh, heard some stuff about in Australia what they've done is they've crossed them into northerns which is a big no-no here in the U.S. kind of like uh, crossing a right you know I guess yeah it's, it's just like anything else you know they're, they're, the U.S. hobby is very much into uh, keeping stuff pure so some of that's warranted some of it I think is a little overkill but it depends I, on like I, guess, I have I some think weird depends, thoughts about the blue tongue skink stuff it just like, depends on the like if we're talking about carpets if we're talking about anything Australian you know 
yeah, we can we can dive a little bit more into like some of my Puri thoughts because I agree that maybe we shouldn't be crossing Northerns into Easterns, but then I look at like shinglebacks and I'm like, we literally do not have the genetic diversity to justify keeping these separate. Like we're either going to have hybrid shinglebacks or none. So let's just mix them all up. Yeah. Like yeah. the diversity does not exist. So don't even try is how I feel about that. Right. But that's just one case. And I kind of feel that way about the Western stuff too, where we have like one bloodline of Western Australia type Western blue tongues. And then we have like, there are literally three of them. Uh, South Australia wow. type Western blue tongues. There are literally three of them. Wow. So my thoughts are like, there are not, there's not enough genetic diversity there for us to try to keep two separate lines. We just need to mix them up. They'd, they'd probably be hybrids. Mm-hmm. Like in my opinion, they're probably a separate species. I think Scott Ivers talked about it, but like, you know, we if the genetic diversity is not there and like, we're going to lose both of them. If we don't cross these, I think we should do it. So that's what I've wondered yeah. Is, yeah. Like, with, with inland carpets. Because I feel like that's a, it's a similar scenario there, like maybe not as extreme, but we have two lines and it seems like nobody really crosses them. But I feel like at some point you're almost going to have to, wouldn't you? I mean, within the next handful of years. I think I think you need to. I think the way – okay, so I think Enlund, there are two official lines, and I think there was like one animal Justin Julander has that's unrelated to those two lines. Mm-hmm. So there's like two and a half lines. But yeah, man, in my opinion, like, we need to mix those up. Like, eventually you're going to start having problems with inbreeding depression and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's a really hard call because I understand why someone would want to keep those things pure. Yeah, but at the same time, like, you have enough people that are strict in their selectiveness of the breeding projects where they could hybridize, for lack of a better word, they could hybridize or do an integrate, right? A neighboring species that could in theory have integrated in the wild. And then that offspring gets held back specifically to be bred back to the other line. So then you, you, you get the diversity in there, but then you weed out the, uh, the invasive genetics, so to speak. Does that make sense? Yeah. It does. I don't really know how well that was working for like, let's say that there was, I don't know, one line of diamond pythons. And then we tried to do that with coastal carpet pythons. Like, I think after a little while, you probably couldn't say they were pure, but at the same time, like, let's say you start getting one-eyed babies from trying to produce, like, five generations of sibling-to-sibling bred diamond pythons. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know. It's a, it's a hard thing. To, it's a hard call, because I understand, again, why someone would want to keep something like that pure. But then I also understand, like, you can't sometimes. You Yeah, well, yeah, there's... Do it when you it, can, but if you can't, don't. It's going to get to a point yeah. where you almost don't have a choice. Yeah. I mean, granted that that's not going to be you know next year or anything like that, but I mean, along the line, at some point, it's going to have to happen, unless new something so, new somehow wanders wanders in, you know. Yeah. But again, with blue tongues, like I don't, I don't think we need to cross the easterns and the northerns to like make them more stronger, which is what the Australians have done. Uh, with this melanistic, I have so. You have New South Wales type Easterns, which are a little bit smaller. They're darker. They have a really uh, like prominent eye band, which is pretty cool. Uh, those are very popular in the U.S. And then you have uh, the Queensland type. It's kind of what we call them. They have no eye bands. They're a little bit bigger. Uh, they have a different color palette. So I think with this melanistic thing, what I'm going to do for maybe just this year is I'm going to cross 
that male who's a New South Wales type, het melanistic, into these Queensland types to make some animals that are still pure Eastern, you know, depending on how you want to look at it. Yeah. But also are genetically diverse enough to, you know, maybe maintain a line of sustainability in the future. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you're you're taking the Okatee corn and you're breeding it to a Miami phase strictly so that you're not muddling the genes. I get it. It's still a corn. Yeah, exactly. To avoid breeding it to a yellow rat. Like, right, exactly, exactly. It's way better to breed it to the Miami phase than it would be to breed it to a yellow rat. You got it. So that's my opinion. Now, some people might disagree with that, and I would understand. But I also, you know, I can look at these Queensland types and say, okay, well, they're not related to this New South Wales het melanistic, and I'm still going to try to breed him to a, to a New South Wales type. But then I can track down and say, like, okay, well, I'm not going to breed siblings together, but I can take you know, maybe these half-siblings and breed them together, or maybe I'll take an animal that I know for a fact is het melanistic from the Queensland type and then breed it back to a New South Wales type and get an animal that's like 75% outcrossed from that original, maybe slightly weaker melanistic line. So that's something I'm kind of thinking about right now is like how I'm going to do this project in a way that I don't cross it to northerns, but I also outcross it enough to have strong babies, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, it makes sense. I don't. That's something I I think about, especially with chondros and some of these bloodlines and stuff. Is like, how many times? And I'm sure with we've seen it with ball pythons. I mean, I don't know exactly what ball pythons have issues. That's a result from from being line bred too much, like that line being folded over itself too many times. But I do think about with like chondros. It's like at some point when you're when you're line breeding and you're not outcrossing some stuff and changing things up a little bit like at what point are you going to start having issues and seeing things that are not positive with clutches and that probably depends on what they are like you could probably breed beox together forever you know they're an island species they probably don't have much genetic diversity to begin with yeah but then maybe like some of these mainland animals you can't do that like i mean just I in think like the, the designer stuff probably never gonna have an issue you don't think so I don't, I mean, how much genetic diversity can there be in the middle of Australia? You know, they're probably, they're already an island species. Yeah. Yeah. When you think of it like that, absolutely. Yeah, but then you look at at stuff like eastern indigo snakes, where because of regulation and law, you're forced to do pockets of inbreeding, whether it be east coast, west coast breeders, you know, midwest breeders, where you've got three or four guys that are trying to swap offspring, but when it comes down to brass tacks, you know, the animal still dies prematurely at six and seven years old from enlarged heart or heart murmurs, or, you know, they develop, uh, uh, they develop obesity almost on a genetic level just because, you know, they don't, they're not exposed to the two miles or five miles a day they would traverse in the wild. They're living in an enclosure. So like, I see that with, with Dramarchon so frequently that it makes me afraid of other species too, you know? Yeah. I think Drymarchron would be a really good example of something where they're like the exact opposite of an island species. I guarantee if a male wants to go off and breed, he is going to be nowhere near where he hatched Mm -hmm. by the time he's ready to, you know, get down and dirty with a girl. Exactly. He might might be 10 or 11 miles away from where he hatched the first time he sires a clutch. Yep. So you've got this like genetic diversity just moving around all over the place. Yeah. Historically, what should have been the entire southeastern like floodplain. Right, right. 
Not to mention, you know, you've got particular, just speaking of eastern indigos, you have particular pockets of barrier island species that are either extirpated from their range or extremely isolated because of human development. So like Sanibel Island and Captiva, there's a population of eastern indigos there that are jet black, probably the, the darkest black of any of the indigo group of animals. And they're exclusive to this one set of the barrier islands in Sanibel Captiva. And people see them like on the beach, just like chilling, hanging out, these big jet black snakes, but they're not going to cross major saltwater estuaries to get to the mainland. It's just, it's just unlikely. You know what I mean? So you look at that species and how they're still going, they're still kicking fine. But then again, you have breeders in California and New York that, and as well as, I mean, all over the country, I don't mean to pick those two states specifically, but that have, you know, inherent heart issues to where now they're, they're learning, Hey, we have to outcross the stuff and not with other species, just with more remark on genetics. Yeah. And I mean, people have talked about this for a little while with Island species, where if you have an animal that has had say 50 generations of inbreeding depression, eventually it gets to the point where all the bad genes are flushed out, but there had to be a period where there were still some bad genes in there that, you know, they got hit with the homozygosity of being bred together, mm-hmm. say, six or seven times. And that's kind of what we're running into with some of this captive stuff. Like, you look at the albino boas, they say you're not supposed to breed albino to albino because they're inbred. A lot of stuff we're dealing with right now are animals that had big ranges. So, like, I think we're going to run into this issue with coastal carpet pythons. Like, especially, say, like the Brisbane's, where no one's trying to really outcross the Brisbane's away from stuff. That's an animal where, you know, there's probably a lot of gene flow. There's probably a lot of genetic diversity in that population. But then you get a situation where you have two of them that come to the U.S. and then you try to breed sibling to sibling to sibling to sibling for, say, eight generations. You yeah. start running into problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially yeah. when you treat it like we do in captivity. We're like, oh, that little weak one right there, let's just kind of force feed it. And eventually we're going to breed that little weak feeder who's kind of runt- you know, kind of runty. Because we want to save everything. Yeah. And it's funny you bring up those Brisbane's. It's funny you bring up those Brisbane's because, like, even just looking on iNaturalist or looking on just people's, you know, backyard photos. And, like, I'm part of a bunch of Aussie snake groups on Facebook, as I'm sure most of the people that listen to this are as well. There's so much visual diversity in that whole Brisbane, you know, mid-Queensland area. Like... And and to, to say, like, they're just all Brisbane's, like, obviously they're the same species, but you can see the genetic diversity just in backyard oh, specimens. Yeah. And you see with blue-tongued skinks, too. Like, the uh, the South Queensland type, quote-unquote, blue-tongued skinks I have, you can go on iNaturalist and find animals look exactly like them in the Brisbane area. But not every animal in the Brisbane area looks like them. There's, right. you know, there's probably three or four dozen different looks you see. In that area. So I think the carpet pythons are kind of the same where, you know, you've got males that will move, like I said, with the eastern indigos. They might be 10 or 11 miles away from where they hatch by the time they find a girl. Right. And you have that for, you do that for, say, eight generations, you eventually got animals that are extremely far away from where their great-great-grandfather grew up. Yeah. Well, this makes me think, too, like, in terms, spreading of, those genes around. in terms of carpets, like maybe that's the reason we haven't seen 
like a real sort of explosion as far as morphs with Popwins because we have so much imported blood coming in that it's it's sort of slowed down the the progression as far as morphs and genetics within Popwin carpets. You know, like absolutely. I think with coastals and the other stuff we've seen, that's that we're limited to what we have. Like you see a, a sort of a uh, what's the word? Um, <clears throat> like a faster progression. Uh, expedited sort of deal with the the morphs and stuff right yeah i agree most definitely yeah it makes it makes sense it does take uh yeah i think it takes three generations for a recessive mutation to pop up in a visual form so first generation that has it there's just gonna be one animal it's a het and then it breeds off to make two more animals say those two more animals have hets and then they breed together to make a visual and that only happens if there's multiple generations of inbreeding to go along with it yeah if you don't inbreed you don't see it so and what's the what's the rate like i don't want to say the ratio but i've always been curious as to this so like we always speak about quote-unquote inbreeding right and you have like for example gamma carpets like talking about like a gamma sibling right is that a sibling in the sense of mom and dad are the same but you have four or five years of mom and dad producing clutches and they're all technically siblings even though they're five years apart just like humans or or any other thing for that matter but then again you also get ones where it was bred back to mom from the third generation the fourth generation you know your f3s your f4s where they bred back together opposed to being bred back to mom does that play a factor I don't know because you got to think every generation you're losing a little bit of information. If you inbreed, right. You know, right. you lose. A, so you get more and more homozygous. So, you know, you get one half from mom, one half from dad. Eventually those halves start matching up when they should be a little bit different. So if you actually go backwards a little bit, like say you breed a baby that's an F4 back to one of the founders, like say one of the founders is still kicking you just an old snake. You right. get a little bit of that old genetic diversity that was lost but it's only what was there. You know, it's only what was there in that original male. Right, right. Yeah, so, so sometimes you get a little bit of lost information back, but after begs, after a certain point, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it almost begs the difference that, you know, you it would almost, for the, for the healthiness of the genetics overall, it would be better to breed the F4 back to dad or back to mom opposed to breeding it to a clutch mate or to an F2 or whatever in terms of just keeping it healthier, you know what I mean? Opposed to, in terms of not making mutations, right? Yeah, yeah. That's. I think if you're going to do something like that, that's the best way to do it. But still, that's really the best thing to do is to get an unrelated animal from the same locality. But, you know, we're talking Australian stuff sometimes, and yeah. that's not possible. Yeah, yeah. Which really sucks. I don't know. The whole yeah. thing, man, it's such a it's such a fine line, you know, when you're trying to keep... A line going but you're trying not to do too much there was right, that just goes back to those yep. knob the pilbarensis knobtails you know the rumor is that every single pilbarensis in north america is head for albino well that that didn't happen just naturally in the wild that's because <laughs> you know 
we we bred the same group of animals together over and over again to the point where they're all head for albino in theory. Yeah, and they probably are. Are a very large percentage of them probably are. Right, right. So, awesome and when you're talking about like, yeah. Anyway, when you talk about inbreeding, you got to think there's more genes like that that maybe aren't you know maybe aren't as visual as say an albino would be, but sometimes it might be like. What if they're like slightly less good at digesting like the shells of insects, we'll say. Yeah. Little little stuff like that, like little genes you might not notice but make a difference, might start popping up. And I think that's what makes stuff weak over time if you inbreed it. Yeah, and I'm going to butcher this. I know someone's – hopefully someone can correct me because I know I'm going to butcher this. But we're seeing that now in American alligators with all the farms that are, you know, farming gators for meat and Mm -hmm. leather goods and all that stuff. They're basically developing – I don't know if it's a liver deficiency or something where they're not digesting their food and it's rotting in their gut and they're basically just getting, you know, septic. And it's happening in babies that are, you know, four or five months old. And, I mean, it's kind of – messed up to think of it like this but at least it's happening when they're young and it's not happening to an animal that's you know been along been along for the whole long haul so to speak but at the same time you're having all these alligator farms losing countless babies i don't want to say hundreds but countless babies to this and nobody knows why and it's got to be from inbreeding makes sense to me yeah so on a less morbid note, what else are you keeping? <laughs> yeah, what's what's new in the world of brettles? <laughs> yeah, let's let's talk the the what's superior the hot, Morelia. The hot gossip. The superior Morelia. The superior so, Morelia. So speaking of inbreeding, this year I made uh, double visual stonewash stripe brettles. Yeah. So those are pretty cool. Awesome. So they look. Um, so these have been made before. On accident, I think this is maybe the first time they've been made on purpose, if that makes sense. And and you know, I'm not the first, I'm not the only person that made them this year. I, uh, Nick Mutton and a couple other people, I think, made them. But when the first ones hatched out, they had this like really wacky pattern. Like their pattern was not a stripe. So that's kind of what I was expecting to get these like weird mosaic things. But most of the babies I hatched out of that. Uh, as far as the double visuals go, they had a pretty decent stripe. It wasn't great. Some of their siblings had like nearly perfect stripes, which is pretty cool. Awesome. But they have a really well. First of all, they're significantly lighter. Like I have a picture of one next to the other, and one is pink and the other is brown. So wow. like it's pretty obvious what they are. And then I was showing you this still where their head stamp is super distinct too. Oh yeah, they've got this like weird hourglass with like two little dots off on the side. Yeah. It's like a, a very much like a black widow, you know, abdomen with, you know, the that's two, exactly what it looks like. It looks like a with, black with, widow. Yeah. Black widow abdomen with asymmetrical dots, like perfect dots on the sides. So I don't know what causes that. That's kind of weird that, you it's know, those two genes playing together make that. The uh, head stamp of approval. Right. It's pretty neat. I'm kind of excited to see what they look like as an adult. Casey, you're going to have to take a really good picture of like the cleanest, most sharp looking head markings. And we got to make you a logo out of that. Oh, that would be a cool logo. Wouldn't it? That would be stamp of approval. (laughs) And so wait, those are double what's. So they are a, it's a genetic stripe 
and a stone wash in one snake. Okay. And that's not hypo, though. No, there's no hypo there. When okay. stone washes are born, they are so much brighter than a normal bridal python. Like, they're pink. And, of course, the striped ones are the same way. So they look very hypo when they're born. Um, whether or not they stay hypo-y looking really depends on the animal. Like, some of them stay, like, this weird, like, salmon-type color, and it's beautiful. And others more or less look like normal bridal pythons as adults. And it's kind of a crapshoot to figure out what it is. I know eventually it's something I'll be able to uh, breed more into. I've been working with that trait for a little while where I bred a high orange line from Europe into a stone wash and held back a baby or two from that. And I'm really excited to see what visual stone washes those make in the future because, you know, you add more orange to the base, you get more orange in the mutation. Nice. And then you say holding them back. Are we talking like a year or two to, before you can really see it, or are we talking like five, six years? Oh, no, no. Like, I hold baby back for, for me, like for future breeders. Oh, okay, okay. I, th- I thought you were saying like hold them back to see what they turn into. No, no, no. Okay, okay. I, but I will say, like, I've noticed head stone washes are prettier than, like, they're a little bit cleaner looking to me than non hat brittles are. Interesting. So I think there's like, you know, we'll call it recessive, but I do think there's, like, sort of a look to the hets. Right. Are we anywhere close to the ceiling on those as far as morphs go? Um, or do you think it's still pretty getting... pretty open as far as potential and things that could sort of come as a result of, of mixing these lines and morphs? Well, I mean, I guess you'll have to make a hypo stonewash strike first, and then you'll hit the official ceiling, but there are, and I've shown you guys pictures of this, there are a couple of unique-looking animals in the U.S. and Europe that would be interesting to see if they prove out to be anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some that are patternless. There's some that are, they have, like, a check mark down their back or, like, little that's, dotted lines down their back that are pretty cool-looking. Awesome. So, so then, you know, I also love the look of just a classic wild-type brittle python. I told, yeah, you know, Billy asked me the other day, like, what's your ideal brittles and i was like you know what honestly just be a fours but brighter like still has that black outline along the cream colored stripes the stripes are just really crisp and clean and clean and the orange just i want it to get prettier like if i were gonna pursue them on a serious level i'd definitely be trying to go for like the darkest most black like highest amount of black up the body like eventually trying to get to almost where all, where there where there's red it be black. Yeah, that would be awesome. I love. You want to turn the brettles into a bowling python? Yes. <laughs> I love dark brettles, man. I love brettles with a ton of black. I don't know what it is, but that just that <clears throat> that burgundy. And I know that, a lot of people black. love the like the half black, half red look. Yeah, which is a that, cool look. That's that's me, man. I love that. Mm-hmm. Just a bright red body with the jet black tail. I just think that's awesome. I'm actually I'm surprised no one's focused on, you know, hypos with jet black tails like that. Like to me, that would be awesome. Like that would just be right up my alley. I mean, that's pretty much what a really nice wild type brittle python looks like. Except really, there's not a lot of people doing true selective breeding in brittle pythons. I mean, there's a few of us now. There's me, Ralph Linsky, Nick Mutton, Austin Warwick. We're kind of 
doing our own thing, and there's a few guys that are coming up that are starting to do it. So I'm really excited to see what uh, what everyone's hatching out as far as Braille's Pythons go in the future. Yeah, man. And I, I don't want to say that, you know, you know, the Herpeticulture Network is, is, is to blame, but I feel like they're trending more, man. People are realizing how great a pet they are. They're realizing how great a species they are. And, like, it's awesome to see more people getting into them. Dude, I wish that I could produce a clutch of just, like, 30 wild-type male brittle pythons because I would have them in the hands of all kinds of people within, like, yeah. a month. Like, yeah. those things fly off the shelves for me because people want them because they're great pets. Yeah. And if you raise them up the right way, they don't get too big. Yep. I don't know what to do, man. Like, mine, I'm, I'm constantly going back and forth as to whether or not I want to hold on to my pair or not. Just hold on to them, man. I just, I, like, it's space that would come very much in handy. But at the same yeah, time, dude, they're, like, they're that, not retail. I man. love like, my male. My female is the first brettles I ever had. So there's like, it's just, it's such a hard, hard to, because at the same time, it's like, if I do get rid of them and in two years I decide I want to get some more, it's not like they're hard to find. But you, you know, one of the leading breeders in the world. Yeah. The world, Casey. Casey Cannon. The world. I doubt Casey, that, but. The Brettles Lord of the South. Yeah, I got the three clutches of those I'm going to try this year. The Brettles King of the Pretty South. Pretty excited about. Nice. <laughs> going to try out a full-blooded hypo stonewash. I think I might repeat the pairing I did this year to get the, uh, the double visual stonewash stripes. Not even for the double visuals. To tell you the truth, I want to get more genetic stripes from that pair. Like just single gene genetic stripes because they made some amazing single gene genetic stripes. Like usually if you look at genetic stripes, they have like more of a lottery type pattern. Like it's not perfect. Mm-hmm. But I hatched out four this year and three of them had like perfect line down, lines down their back. Is like that no some breaks of the ones at all. That Billy got? Yep. Yeah. That was the ones I traded yeah, for Billy. Were, and those were clean. It, that's what I told them. Like, man, you got like, these are like some of the best genetic stripe brittles I've ever seen. So I'm going to hold these back for you. And I didn't show him a picture of those until Daytona. Or like right before Daytona. And it wasn't a good picture just so I could like kind of keep a secret <laughs> just how awesome they were. And then right. I brought him out and he's like, whoa. I remember that. It's like a line. He's like, Jesus. <laughs> Billy and his stripes. He loves those stripes, man. God bless him. What a yeah, so I'm glad they went. Like, I like striped brettles, but I know that Billy would appreciate them way more than I would. So, I'm glad I traded those coastals for those guys. Yeah, I mean, so at, what da- about... at Daytona, I was eyeballing those striped coastals. I'm not gonna lie, they're really pretty. I was so tempted, but I'm like, I don't need, I don't need them. Yep. So hard. Brigantle. I was going to say, so uh, what about the, um, I don't know if we're supposed to talk about it or if it was like a surprise or not, but begins with a suz and ends with an inia? I, okay, so I might be trying out a pair of uh, Mandarin face ends inia this year. Oh, well, I am trying them out. I've gotten one lock, and I've never seen them touch each other since. Hmm. All right. So. When are you going to get caught? I don't drugs. know what that's about. I didn't know if I was supposed to let that cat out of the bag. Sorry, bro. No, no, I was going to talk about those. Nice. Um, are they as we'll see, awesome I got as them everyone very late says they season. are? 
they're pretty awesome snakes. They yeah, are man. pretty awesome snakes. And my pair, like, I know a lot of people, like, kind of crap on the ma- uh, the Mandarin ones a little bit, but my male is, like, this kind of gunmetal blue. He's really pretty. That's and then the female is kind of like your standard, like, brown, but she changes color. She goes from, like, kind of a beige to a really dark brown. This species, they really are very good at changing color, which I've never really heard anyone talk about, but I think it's super cool. Is it, like, seasonal or just as they age or what? No, it's like a daily thing. Like, Oh, wow. Yeah, like all the time. They just seem to be a different color every time you look at them. Like my female was super light today. She was really pretty when I uh, pulled her out of cooling. Nice. So That's they're just... a lot like the brettles. They need to be cooled down to like the 50s. I've actually gotten them in the 40s last night. So now we always talk about like we always think Madagascar. We think like tropical rainforest with you know lemurs jumping around and stuff. But that island's super duper diverse. Like it has swampland, it has desert, it has you know high altitude mountains. Like are it's they a mini continent? A, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a mini continent. So like, are they more you know uh, foresty or is it like jungly? Like what what's the what's the environment like? So there's two types of Tanzania, right? You have the greens and the mandarin phase. Right. The greens are from the garden side, uh, for lack of a better word. There's like a mountain range that goes between Madagascar. So one side is very dry. It's very grassland, desert. And that's where the mandarins are from. The other side is like this lush uh, garden rainforest type thing is the way it's been described to me. Hmm. So the Sanzinia are kind of like the brittles and... Are the uh, the mandarins in here kind of like the brettles, and the green ones are kind of like the jungle carpet python, to give you an idea. Awesome. Both of them get pretty cold, though. Uh, Madagascar, actually, like we were just talking about, gets significantly colder than people think. You've got a couple species of chameleons that they don't do well at all if they get hot. Like, you know, going back to Parsons chameleons, they need to be hibernated. Yeah, you right. need to get them down to the 40s and 50s to get them to breed. Mm-hmm. Very cool. I guess if you look on the map, it kind of makes sense. Madagascar is pretty far south. Yeah. Or at least the bottom part of Madagascar is pretty far south. Yeah, Sanzinia, man, that's just, that's another, that's a species I just, I never really understood the hype. I mean, it's probably because I've never had my hands on any, but I think it's, it's almost. They look so prehistoric. Yeah, it's just getting to like, almost like a Boellen's level of like mystique and everybody wants them and nobody has them, you know. Like some of that stuff, I just I the hype is what is really driving them, you know, more than anything else. I definitely feel that way about the greens. I feel like, well, the greens are extremely rare too. That and uh, they're CITES one, which means you can't import or export them at all. So mm-hmm. what we got is what we got, and it's probably what we will always have. So that's kind of the reason for the high price. But I like them because they're a cold weather void, you know. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of my specialty. That's what I know. So, I got I mean, these guys like, knowing that it's like an African continent. Yeah, right, whoa, whoa, kind whoa. of. We didn't go whoa. that far. All right, they're never going to be as awesome as chondros. Everybody knows that. <sighs> I would say it's more like a Madagascan carpet python. Okay, very similar build. Um, I mean, you can look at them until they're. You can tell they're a boa, but they're also so different than any other boa because they're a lot older. If you look on a phylogenetic tree, Tanzania split off a long time ago. They split off before Kandoya did. Oh, wow. Yeah, they're, 
as far as lineages go, they're a very old boa. And to me, they look venomous. They look more like a viper than they do like a boa. Yeah, totally. In a lot of ways. The head structure, where the eyes are placed, and all of that. Just like yeah, rubber when you're boas. holding them, sometimes you got to remind yourself, like, oh, man, I'm not holding a... I'm not holding a tree viper, even though it totally looks like I'm holding a tree viper right now. Right, right. Awesome. So, like I said, I got a lock. It was crazy. They locked up for like 24 hours, and then I have not seen them lock up since. But I don't think the female's gravid, because from what I've heard, when a female Sanzinia is gravid, she turns like black. Hmm. Like, they have a full-on color change where it's really obvious to tell if she's ovulated. Because they turn like just straight black. That's the first I've do heard. They, of that. Uh, do they retain sperm at all or no? I don't know. I think the trick with them is just kind of keeping them together. From what I've okay. been told, uh, a lot of people pull them apart too early. A lot of people don't cool them down enough. So we'll see. I got them very late in the season. So I, if they don't breed this year, I'm not going to be that shocked just because they right. need time to settle in. Yeah, so, I mean, the question is, if you, you know, three, four months from now, when it's still, you know, our winter, so to speak, you see her turn black, would you throw the male back in, or do you just assume that maybe she retains sperm? Um, I don't know. This is her first time breeding. She's not old. She's a 2016. Okay. And I don't know how big they're supposed to be when they breed. Like, she looks mature to me. Both of them look mature. But then I've seen them at reptile shows when they're like three times the size of this pair which i mean with reptiles that might not mean anything in fact it might be a good thing they're not three times the size they are right now yeah i mean yeah because just the pictures that you've shown us like they're what like three foot four four foot Mm, about four foot i'd say okay maybe a thousand grams yeah like they're not big heavy-bodied snakes at all they look very much like say an amazon tree boa maybe a little bit thicker than an amazon tree boa cool but, yeah, man, I'm excited to try them out. Like I said, uh, I'm fine if I don't get them this year. If they take a year or two to settle in, I'm not going to complain. Nice. So what, uh, what else is in the breeding arsenal for this year? Uh, really, we're getting pretty close to it. Like I said, I got the uh, the Hypo Stonewash Brettles Python, the full-blooded Hypo Stonewash. So that'll be the first time I make those. I'm excited about that. Nice. And then I'm trying to decide what to do. I have a double pet male that I'm trying to decide like, okay, well, what I'm going to put you to. So, and then I got a female that is a head stripe, but I might not use her as a head stripe. I might just make normal rebels with her. Like I might breed her to one of these European males. And just, if you're listening to the show, guess what? They might be head stripe. But <laughs> I won't, I won't advertise that. I'll just be like, yeah, normal rebels. Yeah. Lasik line to a fourth line. They're pretty cool. Yes. Because really like, I don't really understand why the reptile world thinks that you have to put so much emphasis on like breeding your hets as hets because you can breed your het anything as a normal too. Especially when like, you know, the gene it might be het for isn't that, you know, all that valuable. Yeah. Right. Have you done maternal with your brettles at all? I, I could have done it one year, but every other year they have scattered them around. So there was no hope. <laughs> Damn. People tell me that brettles are like, oh, they're such great mothers, they wrap no problem, and I have not seen that. <laughs> I have not seen that at all. 
they are scattering them all over the cages. Now, is it? Do you give them like the nest box, so to speak, or no? I do. And they just don't but use it. They just they don't just care. Don't use it. And I don't know why. I don't know if like maybe they don't like the nest box I use. Like they like the nest box enough to lay eggs under it, but they don't like it enough to beehive under it. I have no idea. Because I wanted to try maternal uh, this year, but she uh, scattered all but one egg. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to let you keep this egg and see what you do. And that was a mistake because I found that egg like two days later, just dried and shriveled up, and it was it was bad. Damn. Like, I don't know if it was bad initially, but after she was done with it, it was there was no hope for saving that egg. So I should have just taken it away from her. Is there any, like... But I wanted good... to say I didn't... No, see what you're going to say. No, no, no. I just I said I wanted to say I tried maternal with them. Oh yeah. No, I was going to ask is uh, is there any like good data of uh, of you know mothering brettles in the wild, like people finding you know a den or a nest or whatever where mom is beehived, or is it just something we've seen in captivity? I, it's just something I've seen in captivity. I've never seen a picture of a brettles on eggs in the wild. I think yeah. someone studied them at one point, but I haven't really seen. I've never seen any photo evidence of brettles. I know they do it in the wild. Of course they do, but I've never seen yeah. a picture of one on eggs. In fact, it's pretty difficult to find a picture of a wild brettles. Right. Like not a people lot. Not a people go out in those canyons to look for snakes. I guess. And how freaking yeah, sweet they, would it be to be camped out there in Alice Springs though for like a month studying brettles, like wild brettles? It'd be amazing. It would be amazing. Yeah. I would love to do it. And and. Casey's the only guy that I know that has physically seen one in the wild. Yeah, Scott Eifer's done it. So, well, he lives there. Oh. It's different. Well, he, yeah, that doesn't count. Sorry, yet, Scott sorry Scott. Doesn't count. Sorry, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen everything, so we just gonna have to have to not count you on stuff. I'm gonna get a phone call tomorrow, and he's gonna be so mad. <laughs> I'll bet she's never seen a wild corn snake, though. That is true. That is true. Actually, I think I've seen a picture of him. There's like feral corn snake populations. I You're think kidding. he's caught feral. I think he's caught feral corn snakes in Australia. Doesn't uh, count. I'm pretty sure I saw a picture in one of his books of like an AML corn snake that somebody caught out in like Queensland. You're kidding. There was a, there was a news <laughs> article recently. Someone found a, a corn in Australia. They're there. I think Australians have like all the basic like pet smart reptiles. They're just all underground and they don't talk about it. Because I yeah. saw a picture one time in an Australian group of somebody posting up a leopard gecko, and I literally messaged this person like, "Hey, you realize that's like super illegal and people are watching this group, right? Like, I would take that post down." Jackass. Yeah. Hey, I mean, I just don't want somebody to get arrested. There's, if you're gonna do something illegal, don't advertise yourself. There's a there's right? a whole underground ring of fancy corn snakes. <laughs> I think there literally are, or is a, a ring of like underground ball python guys and underground <laughs> corn snake guys. That's you know, like knock on the secret door. <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez. Under- I got a butterscotch out here. <laughs> I got a name. Forty thousand dollars. Yeah. Just smuggled it in. <laughs> Fresh out of my underwear. I was uh not to, to you know departure from our departure, but uh I was gonna say is I was wondering if 
if them scattering, if the brittle's female scattering her eggs the way that sh- they do for you, I'm wondering if that's like almost natural. It, like, I imagine maybe a female finds a choice spot and she's just like, this looks good. And she just lets them all out and walks away. I doubt it. I think mine are just bad moms. Like straight up, I think mine are just bad moms. I'm trying to give. I'm trying to give them more <laughs> credit. Damn it. I know. I know. My hypo girl will wrap her up. Will uh, wrap up her eggs. So is that? Maybe I'll try uh, maternal with her. I'm still waiting on go. a prelay shed for my female chondro. Starting to wonder if she just reabsorbed or something. You'll get it. Yeah, knock on wood, man. And I'm waiting on this other this this cyanide to drop again too. She's been cruising like crazy. I'm afraid she's gonna start getting freaking nose rub. She was in the box this morning, so I was like thinking maybe she would lay while I was gone at work. But I came home and she was still out cruising back and forth. I have had females cruise so much right before they lay eggs that they've been able to open up sliding glass doors, like doors they would wow. never be able to open up by themselves. I've had to like find ways to tape them and lock them because they cruise so much. They just eventually rub so much. Just opens up. Yeah. I don't know. I keep like yeah. cardboard wedges in my, in, in between my panes. Yeah, you I've got, got to one girl that shins. figured out how to open them up. <laughs> so I have to have like special locks. Like a velociraptor. It really was like, she figured out how to open up her cage and get this. She figured out how to open up tubs in racks like she figured out okay if i get behind this i'll open it up and then i can go inside because <laughs> i thought she ate one of my blue tongues once she got out went to another room slid behind a rack opened it up and then i caught her when i was walking down the stairs i turned on the lights there's an open tub and a brettle's tail going into this little blue tongue skink cage <laughs> and i'm like oh my god i opened it up she's in there the blue tongue skink is not there and i was so sure she ate it. I was so sure she ate it, and then five days later, I found it running around the basement. <laughs> so somehow it saw the snake coming and ran out of the free. tub. Dude, imagine if you had a camera in that tub, and like, you know, the brittles goes in there, and the blue tongue's like, whoa, 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 and like throws out its big blue tongue, and the brittles is like, oh, dude, I, I didn't mean to startle you, and like, he's like, I'm out, bye, and dips out. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> Closes the tub with the brittles in it behind him. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I was so mad at that snake, too. I was like, if you were not an adult female <laughs> brittles python, oh, I don't even know what I'd do to you right now. Like, I was so sure that she ate that blue tongue skink. That's like, crazy. The fact she had did not eat that blue tongue skink is honestly surprising. Because of every other step she took, she might as well have eaten that blue tongue skink. Yeah, yeah, right. She went that far. Why not? Yeah. Well, that's almost like uh, when we were at Billy's house. You know, he has the uh, Patias in like a really, really nice PVC enclosure, and it has like a hinged door with showcase locks that are, um, they, like the locks turn and the like the paddle goes up into the into yeah. the enclosure. One of them is unlocked. And I'm like, hey, Billy, that thing's unlocked. Don't forget to lock that. He goes, no, 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 that's the snake. She knows how to unlock it. And I was like, you're kidding. He says, yeah, the other lock's really hard, so she can't get that one. <laughs> They're smarter than we give them credit for. I know they know how to open doors once they do it a couple times. Right, right. Like, I think it, they'll do it on accident uh, every once in a while. But I think after maybe like three or four tries of doing it, they'll, they'll figure out the pattern. 
you know? Yeah. Well, since I've had that, that male Jansen eye in the rack, I haven't had any escapes. Got him freaking locked down. If I end up getting a, a cage from Black Box that's somehow, like, lockable, he's probably going in it because I've just dubbed him well, either. Escape artist. Yeah, he's freaking Hannibal Lecter, man. I got to keep him under lock and key. Otherwise, he finds a way to freaking break out. <laughs> Disappears in the house for a week. I still got a Mandarin rat snake stuck in my house. I don't think I'm ever going to find it. <laughs> Dude, that's like the optimal conditions for that animal, too. Yeah, I know, right? This is perfect. It's like I'm in China. <laughs> right? This is just like Imagine North it. Vietnam. Right? <laughs> Oh man, those would be cool. Are you, you got how many of those do you have? Um, I I have two where I know they are, and there's a third one that <laughs> maybe will pop up one day. It's been gone for months. <laughs> so you're not doing them this year, though, right? They're still young. No, they're still little. And honestly, like the female's a good eater, the male is only taking life, so he's okay. not very big. But they're the easiest snakes in the world to keep. And I would say bamboos are equally easy. I literally, I forget I have them sometimes. And dude, I just remember everyone saying how mandarins were just so difficult. They are people, the simplest snakes. And dude, bar I none. just remember people would always like, "Oh man, look, mandarin rats, man. Yeah, why back are they in the so, day. why are why are they so cheap?" And it's like because they die, or people don't know how to take care of them. I should say. Okay, here's how you do it. You get them in a the tub. <laughs> you put in put in the three fridge. or four inches of cypress mulch. That's like a little bit wet. You let the mulch have the wood mites and maybe even a couple isopods in there. You give them a water dish that they're going to hide under. I don't think they'll ever drink out of it because they'll just drink the water up from the sides of the tub. And you leave them alone. You leave them at room temperature. You just figure out where they like to hide. You drop a frozen thawed mouse near there. They'll eat it in the middle of the night. They are literally the easiest snakes in the world to keep. Done. That was fine, man. That stuff just cracks me up because I remember, like, when I was a kid, I remember hearing like mandarins weren't a thing. Like, they weren't there weren't that many people that had them, and they were, you know, difficult and not easy snakes to keep. And then it's over. I don't know how it is we come to figure it out, but someone's like, "Well, maybe we're just keeping them too hot. Maybe we just don't give them anything." And then somehow it's like, "Hey, we figured it out. Like, we're just we're keeping them, we're cooking them at eighty degrees. That's too much, you know." Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they do well with being looked at much. Like, they're simple, but they're boring. I would never, like, I wouldn't recommend them to, like, somebody that wants to touch their snakes. It's just kind of, yeah. you just got to accept they're there and know they're there. It's kind of like having a, a pet bucket of mulch. Yep. <laughs> like a sand boa. Yeah, it's like a sand boa, except they like, like sort, of le- sort of wet cypress mulch instead of sand. Which is interesting, too, if you think about it, because if they live sort of that semi-fossorial sort of existence, it's like, why are they colored and patterned the way they are? They remind me a lot of coral snakes. The way they move is like coral snakes, the way they act, the way they dig around. It's They're basically filling in the same niche as a, corn snake, or as a coral snake. Well, it makes me wonder if they're mimicking crates. Oh yeah, like totally, do 100%. do do those big Probably. do the big bungaris with the you know the bright yellow bands? How far out do those go, Phil? Do you know? Oh, they have a huge range. And then like, if you're talking about like fasciata and stuff, like the the they go all up into China and all of, almost all the entirely entirety, excuse me, of the Malay Peninsula into Indonesia. Like, there's just so many species that 
are not seen in our hobby or not even seen in general. You know, there's, there's just some, there's some amazing different tricolored ones and banded ones and highlighter yellow and highlighter green. So like, mm-hmm. it, it does make sense that it would be mimicking something like that, or even like Calliophus, yeah. you know, the, the Asian corals, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there's, there's a mimicry to be seen with that. Hmm. That stuff's fun to think. Yeah. About. That makes total sense to me. You know, no different than we have, you know, the Eastern coral snake, we have the Scarlet snake and the Scarlet King, you know, they're all they're all the same fossorial East Coast United States. They're all you know semi tropical. You know they still live in deciduous forests where they where they do inhabit. It would be no different with the Mandarin. Dude, speaking of corals, man, I've got neighbors around the corner from me that see corals all the time. I go over to their house to look for them, and I never find them. Like, I've literally had, like, two or three neighbors who were like, yeah, I had a coral snake in my yard. And I'm like, was it actually a coral snake? And they showed me, like, a picture. And I'm like, sure as shit. It's like, son of a bitch. These people got coral snakes all over the place, man. Dude, I've been in Florida over 20 years now, and I've never seen a coral on my own. That still blows my mind. You know, people call me up. Hey, man, I got a coral snake in my pool. You know, it's just that's just what happens. It's never us. It's always them. Yeah, I've gotten, I've been lucky enough to see a couple of them, but that's always with, uh, with KJ. Yeah. You boys are blessed. Just as something. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I've seen some pretty cool stuff with that guy. Are you yeah, man. Planning to pursue the emerald thing more at some point. Um, I'm raising them up so slow that, I mean, I might not get babies from emeralds until 2026. But do you, I mean, do you I plan on getting, getting a more? couple more? Yeah. I'm thinking about it. So I've got a list of animals that range from like animals that, for lack of a better word, I kind of need. Mm-hmm. Like if I want to take a project a little bit further, I want to add a little bit more diversity. I probably need to get some stuff. Like I got a couple of blue tongue things that like, I really it'd be hard to justify spending out that much money, but like I probably should spend that much money to like take that project to the next level. And then I've got projects that I really just want and emeralds are more on the want list. Yeah, it's just a species you know? that you, it's a species you like. It's a species I like that I'm curious about, but the way that I'm going to do it is I have to get babies and raise the babies up. Like I would never touch an adult. Mm-hmm. unless it was captive born from somebody I trusted and maybe only had, like say it was somebody that only had emeralds and only had like a small handful of emeralds and decided to get out of them. But I would never touch an import. Never. Unless, no, honestly, never. Even if it was say 10 years in captivity, I don't think I would do it. Mm-hmm. Cause at that yeah. point you've got the problem of import or of uh, acclimating it. Yeah. They're just like, they're fragile like that. Like it's not necessarily the actual keeping of them; it's just the like the stress of moves and. I don't think they handle being moved well. I think that's a big thing with emeralds is they don't handle the stress of being moved well at all. Do you feel like the emeralds are, you know, we we all have that one species that we keep where if it breeds, awesome. If it doesn't breed, awesome. I just like them and I keep them. Do you feel like that's emeralds? Yeah, there are. They're a curiosity thing for me. I would love to breed them, and I think I will eventually be able to breed them. But I would like to get a decent-sized group of them, too. 
like for a little while I thought about having like, well, if I got, you know, the dream would be if I had five males and like 15 females and just say cycled like five every year just to try it out because emeralds are a species you can't breed them every year. Right. Really, you probably need to breed them like every two or three years. Yeah. You ever think of keeping them communal? Uh, maybe. Yeah, that's yeah. just that's another group really where sure. I, like they go hand in hand with chondros, and I'm like I would like to get some eventually, but I don't know. I'm just man, I'm at a point where it's like I gotta make sure, gotta keep like the focus on track, and not spread myself too thin with too many different projects, you know. Which yeah. is very hard to do. Yeah. It's very hard because I feel like everyone sort of goes through a phase where, and it's not even just a single phase, but it happens all the time. Like over the course of two years, we end up with a you know a handful of different projects, and then we finally get to a point where like some of these I just really don't want to pursue, and you sort of go yeah. back to you know you get rid of the stuff like the non-essential personnel in a sense, and you you kind of rein it back into what you were focused on originally. Right. It's very hard to, to sort of keep the blinders on in a sense and stick to your, your core stuff that you really you really do want to work with more and produce more. Yeah, you're always saying how, you know, Billy keeps you on track for magazine stuff, like, you know, <laughs> keeps the blinders on. And Henry's doing the same thing for me, you know, like, I, I, I'm like, Henry, we should do this. I'm like, oh, Henry, I, I think I want to get one of these. He's like, no, no, yeah. focus on your purple maculatas. You know, and just fo- focus on the pygmy rattlesnakes. You know, just 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 do that. And I'm like, oh fuck, you're right. Yeah. How are the perps doing? Though? I do think it's funny though. You're saying Billy. Billy keeps him on track. When you right. look at Billy's room, and there's like he's got everything. It's like 40 different species in there. It is true. That is true. But but it's Billy. There is a method to his madness. There's also like a common thread with a lot of it, though, too. Like if it's rat yeah, snakes, exactly. it's all Asian stuff. If it's pythons, it's all Austro-Indo stuff. You know, it's like right. it's not like he's got, you know, emeralds and then some candoya and then you know some yeah. corn snakes and then some Asian rats. Like it's all very sort of even if it is, it's diverse, but it's still in that same like it's all within that realm of each other. Right, and even like the rat snakes, like he has, you know, he's got a pair of Ridley eye. He's got a pair of Taiwans, you know, he's got a pair of, you know, Caranata. Mm-hmm. So like, there's still, he, he doesn't have just a hodgepodge. It's, it's, it's very, um, well orchestrated. Yeah. So. I think Casey's yeah, almost done it better than anybody else. Like yeah. Casey's, Casey's, I, I admire his ability to stay focused on what he wants to focus on. Yeah, you're saying that, but I, uh, I've got 12 species right now, so I've kind of realized, and I've got stuff that I forget about. Like I said, I don't remember I have mandarin rat snakes until seed time. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I probably probably should throw some mice in there, but I feel like I really like focusing on the subtropical stuff, the stuff that needs to get colder in the winter times. Mm-hmm. That you know, some of the people that focus on more tropical species might try to get into and have a hard time with. I feel like it'd be pretty easy for me. Yeah, one day I'll get into uh, Argentine boas because I know I would yeah. do well with Argentine boas. Hell yeah. Yeah, that's why I got into the Tanzania is I hear people say, well, you know, they're a super hardy animal. You got to get them cold in the wintertime. A lot of people can't get them cold. I hear that. I'm like, yes, that's why I want them. And dude, no one's doing Argentinians right now in any kind of like definitive, you know, project. I feel like that'd be a, that'd be a great species, man. 
them in a Longicuda. Is that, is that correct if I say yeah, that? Yeah, right? Longa. I said Longicuda, I don't know. But the Peruvian stuff, yeah, I thought yeah. about that. Dude, those things. There's are actually crazy. a lot of boas that match well with what I do. Yeah. Like I hear people talk about some of the Central American stuff from the deserts, like yeah, those dwarf animals and whatnot. I think I'd do well with those. Miss- and dude, I'm not a boa guy at all, but those long tails, man, they're just so cool. Whatever happened boas. to Bolivians, man? Bolivians used to be everywhere. Yeah, but I feel like I feel like people, you know, outcrossed them with Nicaraguans and ruined it. I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. But if yeah. you, the uh, Argentinians seem very similar to sort of Dumerals in a sense too, where they used to also be very popular, and a lot of people were working with them. And then over time, it just you know attention drifted, right? And they just kind of got left in the dust in a sense. And now we're at a point where people want them, and of course, there's not that many available, and it's the cycle. But but it is you know it's nice to see like you know Jeff and Kendra doing their thing, yeah, and you get yeah. good good people that actually give a shit. And they produced awesome babies this year. So, like, kudos to people like them. Yep. Wait, Doomerals or Argentinians? Both. Doomerals. I mean, they're doing Doomerals. Okay, yeah. Saying in yeah, general. they did Doomerals. Yeah. Like I said, that's a species I, I feel like I should get into those. Just because they're so well within my wheelhouse and something that once I got a pair that was well established, I think I'd do well with them. Yeah, most definitely. Versus yeah. I hear people talk about short tail pythons and what it takes to keep short tail pythons. Like, nope, I could, I would kill those so fast. There is yeah. no way I could keep a pair of short tail pythons. Why aren't you doing anything with diamonds? Because I don't like the diamond python keepers. Oh. If we're being straight up <laughs> honest here, I there's too much politics. There's too much crap that goes along with those animals. I don't want to have to give somebody a 14-generation list of... Uh, you know, proof that they're pure. I just don't want to deal with it. I like diamonds, yeah. but see, it's sad when it's that like when it's that bad. Yeah, they ruined it for you. They really did, and yeah. I mean, it's fine if you want to deal with that. I just don't. But you know, there's nothing stopping me from getting inlands. Or true. I know we kind of talked a little bit about Brisbane coastals. I wouldn't mind getting some Brisbane coastals. I just wish I just wish there was a way I could get a pair that were unrelated. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think they really have any problems yet. I just think eventually they will have problems. I got inlands in my crosshairs very seriously. Justin, that pair is still available. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did talk about that. Yeah, and to be honest, I... My birthday's coming up, if it matters. I wish I was that wealthy. (laughs) My birthday's coming up in six months. <laughs> the um, I actually, I just got another perp. I and saw that, com- that completes like my project. You got in like my ten mind, of them now, don't you? No, I've got. Oh god, I've got seven. Uh, so that completes like the project in my mind, and like Henry and I have been choreographing like how I want to do this and. We're talking to our boys in Sumatra, and they're like, oh, yeah, you got to do this, and you got to do that. And if you do this, you do that. I'm like, oh, God, this is like five years out, you know? <laughs> but uh, but I'm glad I did that because that, like, completed my – I don't want to say completed my set, but any thoughts I had about any other projects, at least for a while, is just out of my mind. So it's good. 
There's really not anybody really breeding those here in the States, right? Shh, don't say stuff like that. I just thought about it. Yeah. I really don't know anybody that's even bothered with perps. Stop talking. Other than just having them. Stop talking. No one's going to go out and buy those gremlins of a snake to breed them, buddy, just because I said no one's got them. And here's here's the cool part too is like I know some people that are in the arboreal tree viper community in the U.S. Like for example, Alexander England, amazing individual. I can't speak highly enough about him. He's the awesome squam stuff, guru. Yeah. yeah, I mean he's got the squams and the Schultz sign. Need he's to get got him on the show. Lamus. Gotta have him. Oh no, we we definitely have to get him on the show. But like I know he has a couple of choice perps from from Indo and stuff. But I feel like the people that have them, they're focusing on. They're focusing on it because they genuinely love the species the same way that I do. And then the people that used to have them are kind of like, yeah, I had them. They were fun. Let's do something different. So that's kind of like I'm, 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 re- I'm rekindling feelings I used to have about them. And it's, it's, it's really fun for me. And it, honestly, even though I have fuck seven of them now, if I never make a baby, I don't care. I, I still love them. They're horrible, Nasty horrible little pets. creatures. Oh, they are just the worst pets. <laughs> Literally, of all time. if a gremlin was a snake, it would be a perp. Legit. Like they look and, like uh, a gremlin, they act like a gremlin. Yeah, and I, I paired up uh, two pairs two weeks ago with a cold front that we had, just to kind of see what's what. And the females probably should have another year or so. But I was like, you know what? Let me just. If it was in the wild, it would happen. So I threw them together, and I never saw a lock. And the females, they they didn't look any different than normal. So I went to separate them, and like. I'm using uh, that um, the uh, get hooked drawer puller, right? Mm-hmm. I use it for all my drawers now. I am now using that tool more than I'm using a snake hook because I use it to block the face of the male <laughs> while I'm taking the female out or blocking the, you know, I'm using it to touch the tail of the female so she looks to the right so I can hook the male on the left because the male is, you know, scud missling from my face while the female is like, what's touching my butt? What's touching my butt? What's touching my butt? So I'm using it as like a, a, a blocking tool and a directional tool because I, I can't separate them. They're, they're like Velcro. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, but I got another, I got a red male that has like really, really faint tiger stripes. And uh, I don't know if you remember, but I have the, my tuxedo females mm-hmm. are starting to brown out on me. And I think it has to do with the food. And I think it has to do with the UV light because they don't have any lights in them right now. And I don't think that she's losing the color. I think that the melanin might be coming in differently because it's dark and they don't have to blend in a certain way. Like almost like a chameleon kind of thing. Like, I feel like they're adapting to the tub because they don't have to camouflage. Does that make sense? I mean, Casey may be able to chime in on that. He's given, you do UV with brettles sometimes, don't you? Like in limited amounts? In limited amounts, I haven't really noticed a huge difference with them. But I'll tell you, the ones in the wild look very different than the ones in captivity, and they're getting just insanely intense UV. Blasted, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but it's awesome, man. I'm having fun with it. That's all that matters, buddy. Yeah. All that that matters. That drawer puller, I can't speak highly enough about it. Dude, that was like the, the drawer puller. The drawer puller. Do this or whatever, whatever the actual term is. That's the best thirty bucks ever. I still need to get a, uh, like a field hook, an L hook. Yeah, man. 
Speaking of hooks, man, that little my little mini hook, micro hook from Brahms is it comes in handy with these baby Voyager because they're so damn small and thin. Nice, it's perfect. Excellent. I can put it behind my ear like a pen, so if I need it, I just grab it. Like I didn't even think of that. That's great. I don't like to pat myself on the useful. back too much, but that was a, like I'm really glad I went to Brahms with that idea because it's a great, go, great little hook. There you go, baby and Condra, dude, the, baby the, Boyga. The Cambro perches that Brahms made for me are fucking brilliant. Like they're the best. And he gave, I didn't realize it when I got them, but he gave me extra elbows to go in the middle so I can mm-hmm. like kind of change it up from time to time. But dude, I can literally use hemostats because it's, it's lightweight polymer. Right. I can use hemostats and I can pick up the entire frame of the perch and put it in a trash can or put it in a containing, you know, tub. Mm-hmm. And I don't even have to hook the snake. Yeah, the snakes just, Espe- just well, especially on the perch. with with arboreal stuff like that, which velcros to everything, like you were saying, like that's a big time saver and advantage for you. You know. Yeah, absolutely, and and because it's so the perches that we normally see from him, they're very very flat, and they're for chondros because you know the, the face of the chondro is pointed downwards. So for these, I, I specifically requested that he recesses it down about two three inches from the top of the tub, and the cambro. The corners of the camera have like a little shelf to them, yeah. So they're 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 already about one inch lower. So this puts them about two and a half, maybe three inches low. So now the the tree viper can sit there and perch, looking up, and they have like headroom, for lack of a better word. So like that's brilliant. And at the same time, they rarely you know soil it because they're hanging off the perch, so it's naturally going to fall into the substrate, which is awesome. So I, I rarely have to actually clean the perches, which yeah. is great. And even if I do, who cares? Hot soapy water. Like, they're, right. they're hardcore polymer. I like it. Bronze right. is the man. It's yeah. my boy. I would, Casey, when you when you do have more, you know, baby emeralds, I would highly recommend those perches for baby emeralds. Because, like, you can configure them to be spacious or thin or whatever. And because I've seen a lot of emeralds that, like, they don't you know, want, they don't necessarily ball up like a chondro, but they kind of, like, festoon themselves across the branches, so to speak. Yeah, I think that would work really well with baby emeralds. Yeah, it probably would. Yeah. I've seen a, a lot of the stuff was really good to me. Especially if you can get those perches, like the, the bars, like really thin. They would use yeah. that. Yeah, and the ones that hold the water bowl. Yeah. Oh, that, dude. Those that's are awesome. a big deal. Those are awesome. And uh, Billy got one from, from Brahms that I guess is the same size as uh, Medium Deli. So what Billy's going to do is, and I hope I'm not giving away his trade secrets, but he's basically going to make a uh, an arboreal hide or like a, a humid hide where he can you know, put a bowl in there with a lid that has a hole in the top mm-hmm. and then pack it full of sphagnum or whatever. And now he has arboreal uh, hides for some of the um, bird-eating snakes. Yeah, that's a really good idea. That is a really good idea. He's doing a lot of stuff with sphagnum over there. I was kind of, uh, kind of got my, my wheels turned a little bit. Yeah, man. I know he had a lot of like little hides with the uh, sphagnum and mm-hmm. yeah. stuff like that in it. And and dude, I've been so afraid of sphag because 
one of my all-time favorite snakes was a shield nose cobra. I had a pair of shield nose cobras from my late mentor, who was also a good friend of Ryan Reed. And in fact, the snakes belong to Ryan Reed. And that's actually how our friendship got rekindled at Southeast Garbage Fest. I was telling him about this shield nose cobras I had that died. And he's like, wait a minute, did it have this marking and that marking? I was like, yeah. He goes, dude, those were my snakes. You got them from Frank? And I said, yeah, I got them from Frank in, in, in 2007. He goes, dude, I sold it to him in 2006, you know? So, um, but what my mail wound up un- unknowingly every time I fed it, it happened to drag the prey item through the sphagnum and it, it consumed a lot of moss. Mm-hmm. And after it passed, I necropsied it and it basically had a gut full of moss. So I've always been like hesitant to do it, but now I'm seeing how, you know, Billy and some of the other guys are doing it where it's a self, it's a contained unit and you're not feeding it in the moss per se, but the animal still has the ability to go to the humidity should it desire to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one of the few sort okay. of substrate substances um, that I really don't, don't worry about, or even like, I don't have any concerns over it, you know, as far as like mold or anything else like that. It's right. It's one and I didn't I even don't know worry about. Right, I had that puff adder with the infected uh, gum line, and you know, Doctor Wyman told me he's like, "Yeah, man, just put the thing on on." Was it you, Justin? I think it was in our group chat with you, me, and him. Yeah. Saying just put it on straight sphagnum because it's antimicrobial, and I was like, "That's brilliant." So I actually I wet the sphagnum because you know it's so dry and crunchy. Mm-hmm. I wet it with diluted chlorhexidine, so now it's like double, <clears throat> excuse me, double antimicrobial. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, people used to use that stuff as bandages. Yeah, right. But it is we're almost at two hours. So This is a good show, guys. It was. Yeah, I think so too. I always like talking to Casey. I don't think so. We don't do it enough. We only do it like every day a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No. The voyage of the long lost flip flop. And we didn't uh, even touch. We didn't I even forgot touch, about the flip flop. <laughs> we didn't even touch base on how Casey drank 1.5 liters of margarita wine. I don't remember this. <laughs> 1.5 liters Jesus. of alcoholic beverage. That's like a third and, of his weight. And that is why he is the champion. Yeah, that and that and the hot sauce. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about the hot sauce. <laughs> did we ever tell that story? I don't even know if we did. I don't think you did. So after Justin's wedding, um, I met one of my childhood friends who lives uh, up in uh, North Georgia. He, I hadn't seen him in probably four or five years since he moved up there. And I was like, you know what? I'm driving through North Georgia. I might as well call Casey. And Casey's like, hey, I happen to be around the corner from there. Let's meet up and get a beer. So we did. And we met up in you know this town of Helen, Georgia, which is uh, a quaint tourist town. And it's it's its architecture is very reminiscent of like, you know, uh, ancient Bavaria. So it's very German themed and, you know, beer houses. No, no, not not at all. Not at all. Very, uh, very Swiss Alpsy looking, very Bavarian. Right. And uh, we went and got a couple beers. We got lunch, but there was a hot sauce store. So we go in there and you've got this like older guy, kind of like a circus carny looking kind of guy, like <laughs> kind of a kind of a hippie. Oh, yeah. Total, total carny looking dude. Like like biker hippie kind of guy. And he's like, you guys want to try Black Death? 
<laughs> was Come like, on uh, into the back me? room. <laughs> he's like, he's like, you just got to sign this waiver. And Casey's like, I ain't no bitch. <laughs> I don't think those were his exact words, but Casey's like, I love hot sauce. I'm going to try it. And he, and the guy gives him the toothpick. Was it a toothpick? Is that what it was? No, it was a, it was a tube. He gave me the he gave me the bottle. Right, but what did you what did you put on? A, oh, you put on a chip. That's what it was. Yeah, put it on a chip. He puts it on a chip, but what kind of chip? He put like a like a tortilla chip. Oh. So he so Casey puts a drop of this stuff on this tortilla chip, and you watch the guys behind the counter. He kind of gives that look like, oh damn, he's going like. <laughs> Like that was a big drop. <laughs> was I mean, way too we're, much. We're, we're talking like we're talking like two thirds of a gram, okay? Like not even a whole gram. And the guy kind of gave that look like, "Ooh, hey!" And Casey takes it. <laughs> Easy there, killer. <laughs> and he he consumes said chip, and he's like, he's kind of he's kind of choked up a little bit, and he's kind of holding his breath a little bit. But his eyes look good. He looks confident. He's like, "Man, it's actually really flavorful." And then he starts to like swallow, like with nothing in his mouth. And he's like, you know, it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of a, uh, ooh, it's kind of, kind of hot. And then the guy's like, yeah, you're gonna feel it in about thirty minutes. <laughs> he's like, what? And then it just was downhill from there. <laughs> and uh, I wound up, we got him some bottles of water, which I'm sure didn't help. But uh, Casey took it. Like, no, we have pictures of me in this shop where my eyes are red. Like, they're as red as they can be, and I'm crying. And this is before it really even kicked in, because he's right. It took about 30 minutes for it to really kick in. So, I mean, we're, we're walking around out this place. On red. Black death. <laughs> I'm walking around. I think I'm going to throw up the entire time we're walking. Like, I hurt that bad. Like, my pain scale, I was at, like, you know, I was at, like, a 9 out of 10 on a thumb pain scale. Until we walked into an ice cream shop, and I just like slowly ate this vanilla ice cream and just like let it roll around on my tongue. <laughs> it's like drinking battery acid. Well, I think he also he had like three bottles of water, and then he's like he's like I, guys, I think I think I'm gonna I, I think I'm gonna throw up, and I was like, don't throw up, don't waste that good water. I drink like three bottles of water in like fifteen minutes. <laughs> no, dude, it was way faster than that. It was way faster. I keep seeing that too. that one chip challenge thing. The packy one chip. It's like a single chip you buy, but it's like stupid hot. I think I might get one for the next Snakes and Stogies and try it out. That sounds like it's not fun. I, I think some, you should do it. I had some buddies that you have won't. a podcast and you they won't. did it and they look like they were literally dying, but <clears throat> I don't know. I've never really had anything like super, super hot that ever made me sort of react like that. So I don't know. I felt like I was dying. Straight up. Like I, I felt like I was. I was not in a good place. Yeah, but you did it, and you took it like a man. I did it. Yeah. <laughs> he's standing there in line at the ice cream shop, and he's like, like "Hurry sweating. up!" He, he's just sweating, <laughs> and the, the the kid behind the counter, you know, some high school kid, he's he's scooping the scoops, and Casey looks at me, and he's like, "I I I I was like, don't worry, bro, I got this. Like, don't like, you don't have to pull out your wallet, you don't have to think, just stand there." Just drink your water. He's just, like, I got, I, I got to sit down. Yeah, I was functionally useless. <laughs> he, he was like, legit. Like, <laughs> I love Casey, but he was functionally useless. <laughs> that was just an empty shell of a man standing there. <laughs> <laughs> and then literally he starts to eat this ice cream. And like, it's it was almost as if he'd never had ice cream before. It was just straight vanilla, nothing special. <laughs> and he's sitting there eating this and he's just like, 
He's like, I'm gonna it was be the okay. greatest thing I've ever had. He's like, he's like, I'm gonna be okay. And we look at him, we're like, yeah, we know. He's like, no, no, I'm gonna be all right. <laughs> like reassuring himself. I'm not telling you, I'm telling myself. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <clears throat> I'm talking myself through this. <laughs> this is these are the these are the things that happen when you hang out with Casey, the Brettles King of the South. Yep. Great times. I love it. Going out like a cannon. Going out like a cannon. 1.5 liters. <laughs> I tripped myself on my own feet. Oh my god, I forgot about that. Are we can we talk about that? Yeah, why not? I mean, this is this is he's he's beyond. He's at like 1.3 liters when this happens. So, it wasn't like he had two sips and tripped. So we're sitting on Billy's patio and, you know, Billy's got some patio chairs out back and Casey has, he's sitting in the chair and we're laughing, we're joking, we're talking about snakes, you know, like we always do. And he has his ankles crossed, right? And his left foot is behind his right foot. Okay. So people can get a a visual of this. And he goes to stand up because we were throwing darts, you know, Billy's got a dartboard in the backyard and Casey has the darts in his hand and he goes to stand up. But he doesn't uncross his ankles, and he leads with the foot that's behind the other foot. So he trips himself before he can stand up. With sharp darts just, in his hand. And he just lands on the floor, both knees on the concrete, and he just starts laughing. We're like, all right, he's fine. He's not going to die. <laughs> but I'd never seen that before. I'd never seen someone trip themselves. He forgot how to walk. <laughs> Legit, dude. 1.5 liters, man. It's a lot of booze. And I woke up before Billy. I woke up before Billy in the morning. He woke up before Billy, not hungover at all. Because we're thinking to ourselves, like Billy and I are talking. Like you know, Casey goes inside to go to the bathroom or something. I'm like, dude, he's gonna have such a hangover. It's just a, it's, it's a gallon of sugar. And Billy's like, yeah, man, I'm just gonna leave it some Advil on the nightstand for him. (laughs) And then that morning, Casey comes down all bright eyed and bushy tailed, just like Daytona, man. He, he's like, hey, man, the ibuprofen fairy left me a treat. <laughs> <laughs> I found these two Advil under my pillow. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, good times, man. Mm. Good times. So. Oh. Well, this was episode 104 of the Herpeticulture Love Podcast. It. It's part of the Herpeticulture Thanks Network. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, man. It will not be the Always last. Always a fun time. We know this. I guess, I mean, most people know where to find you. I guess if you want to plug that stuff, feel free. Yeah, yeah. You can find me on Facebook under uh, Casey Cannon. Uh, Instagram is uh, Cannon Fire Reptiles. And, yeah, that's, uh, that's about it. Sweet. Awesome. We appreciate it. This episode was brought to you by MPK and Exotics and Steve Snakeuary and his Venom Hot Sauce. It will not do what the Black Death did to Casey Cannon, but it's still delicious. And you'll actually be able to taste stuff afterwards. It won't completely fry your taste buds and your olfactory system. You won't lose brain cells. It's probably why I'm immune to corona. And it won't blister your esophagus. Right. So, still delicious. It's got enough heat to be pleasant. That's it. Right, it's an enjoyable hot sauce. Which, you know, it's funny. Steve's probably going to listen to this and laugh because he's probably had that and he probably drank it like it was water. The Black Death. He's probably like, whatever. 
He's from Louisiana, <laughs> man. They don't care. They don't play around. Louisiana? They're immune to these things. Ooh. But thank you, everybody. We will see you next week. Uh, we'll see you later. Thanks for listening. Later. Adios. Adios.